So we didn't record last week, and that's 100% on me. And we actually got messages from people. I don't I don't think I told you guys this. We got messages from one person specifically, but a few people very upset that we didn't record and didn't let anybody know. Mm. Oh. Because apparently we are a staple of this person's week and oh boy. he was extremely upset that he didn't have the thing that he was used to having. So I apologize for not letting everybody know that we didn't record. Well, it was sort of a last minute I mean, it was a last minute decision because we kept pushing it down the week and then suddenly yeah. we, we had no time. I'm a very routine oriented person, so I I can get I get that. I get that. Well see it's funny, I was talking to my dad last night. We were at a soccer game. And my dad was like, hey, did you guys put a podcast out last week? <laughs> I'm like, uh, no. And I started to tell him about this email I got from this person who was kind of upset because I messed up their routine. And he was like, well, yeah, I mean, we were expecting it and it wasn't there. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Like, Sorry, dad. I, uh, no, he was joking around. But yeah, anyway, I, that was on me. My computer um, had a swelling battery last week. Mm. Swollen? Well, I guess the week before. Yeah, it was like... I, it was laying on the table, the laptop, and it wouldn't charge correctly. And so I tried this one charger that started buzzing when I was plugging it in. And then, like, I went to touch the laptop on the table, and it kind of seesawed. Oh, yeah. The, yeah, it was, like, really puffy. So I turned it off, and I took it to the Apple Store. <laughs> and uh, the battery was definitely very old and beginning to, like, chemically change. I guess there's some chemical thing that happens over time. So I had to send it off to get a new battery. And it won't be back until tomorrow. Oh, wait. So what are we talking about? Are we in the future? We are in the future. I have a future computer that uses time machine. Get it? (laughs) Oh, boy. Sorry. Yeah, (laughs) I I couldn't resist. It was right there. Anyway, no, I I borrowed a uh, a computer from one of my kids. (laughs) So we're recording on our old family computer (laughs) that they don't use anymore. Does it say property property of Harper Valley PTA on there or something? <laughs> no. Before I was telling David beforehand, like before COVID stuff, my kids, we had one computer in the house for the family and it was like in the living room, you know, everybody could see it. It was where everybody took turns playing games and doing whatever. And then they had to start doing school at home, so we got them all Chromebooks because that's an inexpensive way for four kids to all have an individual computer to no. do school. And so this Mac Mini just got kind of shoved off to the side. And which is a great home computer, uh, but pretty inexpensive. But it got just pushed away. And then we did the kitchen and it got pushed even further back underneath stuff behind things down a hallway in a box. And then uh, like three days ago, I was like, wait a second, we have another computer. (laughs) So dug it out, got it set up, got Skype on it and the basics. And so that's where we're at now. A couple of people said to me that I needed to send you one of my many computers to get us Mm -hmm. going. Oh yeah. 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 You have a Photoshop computer. You have a Final Mm -hmm. Cut computer. Mm -hmm. You have, yeah, you have your Mm -hmm. Safari computer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm pretty sure he could have lived without his PDF computer for a week or so. so You you should have sent that one to me. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Anyway, it's all on me that we didn't get that, but I'm sorry, more, more than not recording. I'm sorry that we didn't actually post about not having a show. I should have done that. So yeah, but we're back. We're we back, back, and we're going to record. And Jimmy is awake. Yeah, just barely. Jimmy, <laughs> I so a, a second ago, Jimmy was just saying, "Have I told you guys about the new bandsaw we're getting?" And Bob and I both rolled our eyes. We did we we talk about bandsaws so much that we don't even know if we know about this bandsaw. You don't know. You yeah. guys didn't. All right. 
I probably I talked about it probably on the podcast with uh, with Eric and Andrew. Um, it's in Georgia, and do you guys know uh, Keith Rucker Vintage Vintage Machine Works? Vin- Keith Keith Rucker is restores vintage machinery, and I hope I'm saying the name of his channel right, Vintage Machinery. But his name is prominently in the title, so if you Googled Keith Rutger, you'd find him. He posted about three months ago, anybody want this bandsaw because it's going to go to the scrap heap. And it's a bandsaw that's in a railway. It was from a railway yard, so it's four feet in diameter wheels. So like the throat of like a bandsaw typically is either like 10 or 14 inches. The throat of this bandsaw is four feet. That's how big the wheels are. What? It's so big that the bottom wheel has to go through the floor. It has to, it's designed to go through like the two feet on either side of the casting and kind of dip into the floor so that you could stand at the, the table. I was like, everyone sent it to me like, you got to get this, you got to get it. So I texted Keith because we were, we were, we're buddies from way back. We, we consult on machines once in a while. And so I said, what's up with this machine? And he said, um, actually, that's going to be my recommendation for the day because Keith put out video number one. So he went and got them for me and I offered him money. He wouldn't take money. I actually bought the machines. They were only $250 each. There's two of them. One of them is in major, major disrepair. Of course, there's two of them. (laughs) Why would this story only include one bandsaw? Come on. Well, you know, it's like, it's like finding like a, you know, a red dinosaur egg. You're not going to be like, I'll just take the one you got, you know, give me one. Do something with the other one. Let the other one fade into history. So I had to get both of them. One of them is in like, one of them's like kind of like a donor, a donor unit because it's missing a lot of the Mm. details, the wheels and such. Anyway, so I get paid 500 bucks for both of them to the guy, PayPal'd him, and he's like, you have about a month to get them out. I said, no problem. So I talked to Keith. I said, look, I'll pay you and whoever you know down there in Georgia to grab them. And he's like, don't worry, we'll figure it out. He calls me. He's like, we got the machines. They're in my yard. He's got a big yard for antique machines and cars. And I said, all right, I'll arrange a truck to come get them, you know, which would be probably a couple thousand dollars. And um, he messaged me a few days after kind of living with the with the one complete one and staring at it and then he writes me he's like i have an idea will you please let me restore the good one and i told him then keep i go if you're going to do that you can keep the other one if you want to make two of them whatever so he's going to restore one for me because he wants to do that plus he just wants to he wants to uh to kind of collab with me so that he can get a little bit of traffic to his channel and some, some visibility. So he put up video number one, which we'll put in the show notes. That that's my, this is the first time we ever did a recommendation in the first five minutes. There you go. Yeah. So I thought you guys knew about it. So just as we started, I was like, Hey guys, you know about my new band? So, and you both were like, Oh boy. Like both slapped your head. Like, (laughs) like (laughs) it was like airplane when they all, everyone slaps their head at the same time. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) So you're like, Oh boy, let's hit record and go into it. So it's it's incredible, and he tells a little bit of backstory that it was at a railway yard where they made railway cars. But what's hmm. crazy to me is like, it's got a four foot diameter throat. You could probably resaw like twenty inches of wood. It's how big it is. But why would they make a bed so so big that you would probably need either a crane or a crew of guys to put a piece of wood through it? You know what I'm saying? Like. Like how could hmm. you? It's like it's like a sawmill, but that you stand at. Like, hmm. you know what right. I'm saying? Like if you could stick a log through there, it's gonna be a log that you can't really pick up. But it looks—it huh. just looks like a bandsaw, like one of my antique ones, but it's like twenty-five percent larger. So it's like yeah, eleven feet at, tall. I'm looking at the thumbnail of it. It's it is 
huge. And uh, it I, barely looks like a bandsaw. It has like a kind of different shape to it. Are you looking at Keith's thumbnail on YouTube? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It doesn't seem that big a little but like a couple of pictures he sent me, you can see the context of it. And like I said, the wheel needs to go through the floor. And where it was huh. when it was when the building was getting dismantled, it was up on two big chunks of wood so that it was up in the air so that the wheel didn't so it was like mo- it wasn't set in place for good. If if and when I get it or when I get it, I'm definitely getting it, but when I get it, the idea is to maybe pour a slab for it outside the barn in the backyard, the one that's hmm. down one of my many barns. Put it down at the black one that we use <laughs> we just used on the show. I was gonna pour a slab for it and leave it outside. I, I can see why you would roof. want this. It's beautiful. Well that's what I'm saying. It's kinda like it's a piece of art. Well when I when I spoke to Keith, uh, he said that somebody is gonna get it. Somebody already ponied up. He goes, but you know, these deals don't always work out. So this is the owner's number. Call him. And let him know that you'd be interested if the first deal falls through. And, and he I texted the guy, goes, yeah, someone's coming to pick them up. I said, all right, if things change, let me know. Sure enough, two days later, he texted me. He said, yeah, the guy didn't, doesn't have the wherewithal to move them. So they're yours if you need them. I said, of course, I need them. <laughs> so anyway, that was a few months That's ago. Cool. And I forgot all about him. And then I figured, uh, I told Keith that we were all going to be down in in Atlanta for Workbench Con, and that me and a couple guys were making arrangements, and we still probably we're still going to go see him. He's he's near Workbench Con, so we're going to go visit his shop. And I said maybe I'll make arrangements to pick them up then, but now mm-hmm. maybe I'll make arrangements to pick one up. And you know, the, and like I said, he, he could have the other one. Figured if there's two of them, one that's complete, he could use that to make parts for the second one. Mm-hmm. And Keith is the type of guy who could make anything. You know, hmm. bearing plates, whatever, you know, and he also has the ability to cast stuff. So if like, let's say there's like a a cap oh, wow. missing, he could take the good cap, take it, go get a cast and make a duplicate of it or CNC it. So <laughs> it's interesting. So part one is up. I encourage everybody to go look at it and go check out Keith's other restorations. He does really good stuff. I've never even heard of a 48 inch bandsaw. I never knew one existed it's, either. It's crazy. Wow. I'd love to know, like you were talking before, like what that was used for. Like something that big has to be made. Not you know, at that time when it was made, it wasn't just like, "Hey, let's just make a bigger one because it'll sell." That it was made for a reason to do a thing. I'm sure. Right. It would be really interesting to know what that. I was. I mean, I wonder if it was for cross cutting. <clears throat> you know, imagine mm-hmm. like you have to like cross cut like a straight cut. Let's say like the planks are ten inches wide, but they're eight nine feet long. But you have to cross cut them. So you could have a four foot throat to cross cut those, you know, so it's a yeah. little bit more of a manageable piece of wood, but you needed the throat so you could make a perpendicular cut. And then I said, oh, just get a bigger one since it's the railway company. They got, they probably ordered two giant saws, you know, just to have in the workshop. Yeah. I don't know. Hmm. I don't know. It's but it's interesting. That's, you know, that's why we like old machines because we can do the detective work and figure out what's going on. Yeah. Cool. Any other new machines you want to tell us about? Anything else? <laughs> the barn. We got the new barn installed this week, and I'll talk a little bit about it. Uh, that's been a project that's been ongoing for like four years, three or four years. We've been talking about it, and finally we got it up, and now there's many new hurdles. Once that, you know, I always tell Taylor, and, and we could talk more about it in the subject, but let's just set goals. The goal is let's get the foundation done. Once that's done, then the next goal is to get the frame done. And then when that's done, the next goal is to get the roof done. 
And that's either, a fo- you know, financially so that we don't have to like digest the whole pill and be all nervous about how much it really costs. So let's just get that part done. And then, you know, we're in an industry where work fluctuates so dramatically. You cannot have any money. You can have a lot of money. So it's, I say, let's just not worry about the whole, let's not worry about the whole thing at once. It's, it's, it's doesn't seem obtainable. So if we do that, that's attainable. Uh, let's just do that part. That's attainable. And so that's how I'm able to at least justify these expenses. And, you know, so like I said, we were going to talk more about that in detail, but the, we got the born and that's the only, oh, and we did maker camp. I knew there was a really big event. So I could talk about maker camp it was a lot of fun. We had, so the first maker camp in 2019, we had about 300 and change. This time we had over 500 and change people come to visit. And there were people from all over the country. And, and everyone time, oh, I'm from Georgia. I'm from, I'm from California. I'm from Washington. I'm from, you know, it was so nice. And if you listen to the show and you were there, I, I want to say thank you to so many people to come and support the event. It was really fun. I mean, you guys have to come next year. Okay, you better start making plans now. Because everyone's like, is Bob and Dave here? I'm like, no, no, we're going to skip the podcast next week. It's all over. So I told him. <laughs> I'll commit. I'll commit to next year. No, I'm telling you guys, it's a lot of fun. We had uh, Shopbot was there with the CNC machine and George Von Driska was there. Shaper was there with uh, Sean Kirsch was there doing demos. And we had Total Boat, all the blacksmith guys, everybody, Black, the Modern Forge, uh, Everybody was, I can't, I'm like a little overwhelmed trying to remember everybody there. Um, we had Justin Dietrich uh, and his crew put together a post and beam little barn. And, and since Aaron was at the, the cut up, like we cut up all the parts during the summer, like uh, in uh, July, we had everybody come to town and Aaron was there a little bit hanging out with everybody. So since Aaron passed, we dedicated that little structure to him and we did a little ceremony and mm. somebody, uh, Luke made, Luke from Luke and Priscilla made a, a little steel plaque, a brass plaque with Aaron's image on it. And, and Aaron always says, copy that, copy that. Like every conversation, he says, copy that. Every time you talk, when you're done talking, he says, copy that. That's like an old military thing he couldn't get rid of. Mm. And so we put the word, you know, Aaron and his birthday and he said, copy that. This is quote. It was cute. Yeah, that's awesome. And uh, then we had... Uh, kind of the glue that holds the whole event together is just unbelievable is uh my friend mark adams and mark now has been to four maybe five maker events taking photographs on the seamless and he's such a great photographer and he just puts everybody at ease and everybody loves him and he's a maker you know so he's like so infused in the community plus he's an incredible photographer so he's always down he's always down for helping uh, you know, for jumping in and being part of the team. So he was here this year with the seamless, taking all these amazing, beautiful black and white portraits that you see. <clears throat> and uh, yeah, so it was, it was a great time. It was a really, really, really great time. And uh, everyone's super excited. Uh, there's like rumors that it was like a, uh, like a COVID, COVID breakout, but we had 500 people. Turns out like four or five people that I know of tested positive for COVID that kind of randomly did or didn't interact, you know? Mm. So, I mean, as far as I know, that's it. Everybody was worried about me. One of the, 
my buddy Jacob, he's the one who posted on Instagram, hey, I think I, test, I tested positive, so everybody go get checked. And then a couple of days later, Adam posted a picture of me and Jacob hand in hand, arm in arm, like shaking hands in the seamless. But I did not get COVID. I feel fine. Um, so, yeah, that's the story. But everyone's, everyone's cool. So it didn't turn out to be like a, a big thing. So it kind of was a little bit of a, you know, a little bit of a bummer about the whole thing, but I guess you put yeah. any 500 people together in any situation, and, you know, almost the, yeah. the entire thing was outdoors. It was completely outside, so everybody felt safe. And then once the uh, a couple of the cases started to become known, everybody got nervous, but it seems like it wasn't going to be the big deal that everybody was afraid of, so thank, thankful for that. Yeah. I mean, that's going to be a consideration for, like, every event going forward for a while, you know, years, yeah. I would assume. Um, it's just something we're going to have to learn to live with and like choose. Uh, I mean, like we have been for the past couple of years, just choose the amount of risk that you're willing to, to take, you know, in regards to that. But yeah, well, that's cool. I'm glad it, it, I was a little jealous looking at all the different, you know, images that were coming out of their videos and stuff. I mean, it looked like a blast. Yeah. So. And uh, Michael Aylman, Wesley Treat and Johnny Trambucas, built this tremendous dinosaur to burn at the at the end of the event and it went it went perfectly they just collected tons of wood they cleaned me out of every wood piece of wood that i had scrap laying around all the wood that i had left over from the tv show they cleared me out they built this big giant dinosaur and they, it was kind of like a big rocket stove so like the flames came out of his mouth and then his head slowly <laughs> went on fire and it burned from the top down took about uh, probably 30 minutes for it to completely burn from top to bottom. Oh, wow. And it was cool. It was like a real, it was a real Burning Man thing because at first every, everybody was sort of just like, oh, my God, is this going to work? They didn't expect it to explode, but maybe like the structure might tumble over while it was burning. But it burned exactly as Michael had planned <laughs> from the top down. Like it burned from the very pointy top and it was kind of big triangle. So the fire really took quickly to the small stuff and then it got bigger and then went down. It was really I didn't well know there was going to be so much danger. I would have yeah. went. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm telling you, Dave, if you want to do the, if you want to bring, drive out with your go-kart, set up a thing and we'll do a go-kart thing. We could have like trials. Drive your go-kart there. <laughs> yeah. that's, that's what he's saying. <laughs> no, I'm saying like, it's like pretty much anything goes. Obviously they, the rules at the, that Blackthorn maker camp, the rules are, there are no rules, but if you break them, you'll know they'll, you'll be told. That's what they always say. There's no rules here, but if you break them, you're going to be reminded. So hmm. basically huh. just, you know, don't 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 be crazy and don't be stupid. I saw They're some not, of the photos. <clears throat> excuse me. I saw some of the Mark Adams photos of Paul Jackman, and it turns out Paul actually does have a big head and small body. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Yeah, yeah Jackman was there. Uh, Katrina, Tracy, and Katrina were there making spoons. Uh, my friend Ronders was there doing slabs making slabs out like they just had a giant pile of logs and he just cut up slabs and was literally giving them away just cutting up slabs and then like giving out sections for people to do bowl work or whatever there was pen turning nick uh nick tech ed fireman was making uh was running the table where people were making pens i had one of my giant bandsaws that we forklifted one over there and i was doing bandsaw demos every uh, couple hours it was it was great fun it was really fun. And, uh, you know, obviously we were all nervous going into this one, hoping people would come, but everything sold out. And next year, it just seems like it's going to get bigger. And like a big part of that is, is Mark's photos. They're like a huge, they leave like a huge lasting 
trail of like everybody smiling yeah. and having fun and you know and it's just like a seamless blowing in the wind that's like a seamless like every two minutes was like almost like horizontal because of the wind and then everyone's like hold the corners down and he'd take a few steps and then it would let it go and it would blow up like a flag hmm. oh hold the corner down and uh, so it was really casual the pictures and then you get these beautiful moments in time and everyone's like the seamless is whatever, three or five five feet wide. And there's like people on either side of you talking to you, getting your attention, making you laugh, tickling you. And, uh, you know, you get these really fun photos. So that's my story. That's cool. That's awesome. Sorry I missed it. <clears throat> Next well, year. David, what are you? What are you been up to? Uh, a couple of days ago, I put out a piece of uh, like a, a sculpture that I made. I was driving down the road uh, after a storm, and there was just this big log. And I was like, I'll, I'll take that. And I brought it home, and um, I used the Arbor Tech, uh, what's it called, the, the turbo plane, to start carving away at it. And I realized, like, this was not going to go as quickly as I thought. And so I went and got a chainsaw and did a little bit of chainsaw on, and then carved this piece of art and it's got this, this the middle of this log was all rotted out and so i wanted to make that part of the design and so i poured some epoxy over the rotted part and painted it black and the the whole process of making the the, the thought of making the sculpture was to make art but also to learn how to use the turboplane and to use my new hvlp gun and so it was it was a good learning process, and I really really loved the way the sculpture came out. Like it looks amazing and awesome, and I'm I'm really happy with it. Um, so uh, it does look really awesome. Thank you. I agree with you. So, so th- what I'm also really excited about is the HVLP gun. I sprayed lacquer on there, and I've sprayed lacquer out of a can before. You spray it, and you wait 10, 15 minutes. You can do another coat. When you spray it out of an H- HVLP gun, the, it atomizes, and the particles are so small that it, it, it dries almost instantly. So I was just waiting five minutes between coats, and you can sand if you want to, and it was such an easy process, and then... You know, I posted on on Twitter of like, I'll never use rattle cans again, and then people were like, "Well, what, the cleaning and uh, that the was easy, me, <laughs> yeah, you and and some other people." And uh, if if you if you have a gun that is only for uh, lacquer, all you got to do is just spray in some, uh, put in some uh, lacquer thinner, and spray that out for a minute or two, and then Brian Pruce was just, said, "Just leave the lacquer thinner in the." Uh, the the gravity fed can on there and you'll be fine. You don't have to do any other cleaning but that. And so that gun is actually for paint that I want to use to paint the Impala in the spring. So I went into Harbor Freight and I got a cheaper gun and that will just be my lacquer gun. And when I'm done with it, I'll just run some lacquer thinner through there. And then even when you paint with it, you can just run some some paint cleaners. Eastwood makes a, it's an aerosol can. It's got a special little nozzle on there that you, you, you take the paint can off the gun and you put this little nozzle in there and you just spray it through for a good 30 seconds. And for the most part, your gun is clean. You might want to take the needle out and, and the nozzle, but, um, yeah, there, there, so I was just going to say, you can get around the cleaning by, um, just running, running cleaner through the gun. 
Interesting. So when I was getting looking for a spray system uh, before doing the kitchen cabinets, because I was trying to find like the easiest way to do a really good finish on those, I asked John Peters because I know that he has done a whole bunch of spraying of different mm-hmm. kind. Like, all right, if I'm going to spend money on a system, what should I get? What should I, you know, what accessories should I get? What kind of gun should I get? Whatever. So he told me one of the Fuji system guns to get. But in that process, he told me the same kind of thing where you need to have a gun for paint and a gun for clear. Mm -hmm. Because no matter how much you clean the paint, there will still be some tiny little fleck in the system somewhere that will come out when you're spraying clear. And you'll have this like little thing. And so on those Fuji guns, I also started looking into the nozzles and how the different size nozzles and needles and all that assembly there changes based on what you're spraying. Or it can, it doesn't have to. And so you can get a, f- a finer finish if you get the correct nozzle size and needle for it. So I ended up buying a second gun, and then I took the gun, or I took the, the nozzle setup that came with it, the standard one, and kept that as the clear, and then I bought a bigger one for paint, so that when I painted the cabinets, it had a, a wider nozzle and you know it got a more even paint and like less little fine spray because you don't really want that over a big area; it just takes longer and everything. So there's a couple of things there about if you're going to have different gun setups, you can make them more efficient by getting a, a different nozzle for whatever it is you're going to be shooting with yeah. those particular guns, but. So, John anyway. Peters was at Maker Camp, by the way. John Peters was. Oh, I yeah, saw that. Nice. He brought his son, right? Yeah, yeah. He, he had a really son? good time. He said he really was really had fun. John's awesome. He's a great guy. So the one thing that I didn't do that I planned on doing with the sculpture was also um, cutting and buffing and, and polishing for like that super glossy, and I decided to, I'm, which I've never done. But I decided to not do it because it has a bunch of little jagged edges, and I didn't know if the the polisher would get caught on those. But it makes me want to start thinking about making the electric guitar again because I want to do one of those super crazy, glossy, thick clears on there. And yeah. I, I have um, uh, I, I've got a DeWalt polisher, which it's basically like a glorified angle grinder and the the Norton abrasive system for polishing. It's basically like a, a three-stage system that I haven't tested out yet that I want to use. That I got it to use on the Impala in the spring, but I want to practice on other things in the meantime. So I think I'm going to restore some of these old toolboxes that I have. I do want to make that, that electric guitar and see if I can get that super perfect finish on there. So I have a question about that. And this is a this is a question because I don't know the answer for it. So if, if you had told me to make a guitar and put a finish on it maybe 15 years ago, mm-hmm. I would have taken some sort of a spray, which I, I did this, but I would have sprayed on lacquer or something to that effect and just done coat after coat after coat after coat and just tried to build up that thickness that you're talking about with a lacquer because that's what had always been, in my mind, traditionally done on a guitar. These days, epoxy is such a common kind of known factor. Is there, other than it being a two-sided, completely wrapped in the finish object, is there a reason you wouldn't just epoxy to get that that thick 
clear and then sand down to that and buff that? Well, I mean, my first thought is, like, how, how are you getting the epoxy on there? Are you brushing it on? You have an, you'll have an uneven surface, yeah. And, yeah. Then when you, and then when you're sanding down to it, you, you're presuming you're going to be able to sand evenly on an uneven surface. Mm. You know, let's say you know, I guess it yeah, it depends on the shape of the guitar. I'm thinking of like a like a telecaster, like flat top. Yeah. You know, where you could kind of like let it run over the sides, shape that, flip it over and do the same thing and shape that. But yeah, I guess if it's curved that wouldn't really work. Yeah, Never so mind. Even, you answered my question. <laughs> like even when you're doing a car, <laughs> you you are warned that anytime you you have one of those um like style lines or bends in there, you there's always the chance that you could buff right through that, especially on the edges, because when you paint, um, typically the the way uh, um, surface tension works on those sharp edges of, of the body of the car, there's going to be less paint on there. You're going to have less clear coat on those corners. And so you have to be extra careful when you go to cut and polish those. So um, something mm. else to keep in mind. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Well, um, let's see. For me, we it's it's old news to me, but it's not old news to us because we haven't talked about it here on the main show. But we bought a building. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been about a month ago now, <clears throat> and so I I kind of covered like why we bought it in the video that we put out last week. But then I realized after the fact that I didn't cover a lot of stuff. So I know most of those people are not listening. It's a different crowd of people that listen to the podcast and watch our videos. But I was going to go ahead and explain it a little bit because I don't think I did a good job. A lot of people were asking why we bought another location and didn't use the farm because we have like the barn, kind of pole barn out at the farm. Or not pole barn, whatever they call it. Um, And we did actually spend a fair amount of time out there looking at the barn and saying like, you know, could we turn this into an office and could we make it into the things that we want to make it into? And we couldn't because there's, I would have to put in septic. I would have to build bathrooms. I would have to completely modify the building to seal it up because there are so many spiders, (laughs) so many spiders everywhere. It's just, it's a barn. It's just not made to be a, building like a a sealable you know insulated place where people should go to work it's just that's not what it is so rather than trying to build another structure out there that was those things uh we'd been looking for several months probably six or eight months for a commercial building that we could actually turn into an office and to like small manufacturing and shipping and also, I mean, the original idea of getting the farm a couple of years ago was to have an, a kind of business location. Like, we had all these different ideas of what that place could be. But then once I got it, I just really liked being out there and there not being anything. It was, it's a place where on the weekends, the family, like, we just go out there and the kids run around in the woods. And I get to, like, clear trails and, mm-hmm. you know, it's just... It's just wilderness, and I kind of like that it's that, and it's ours, and it's private, and it's it's not a thing. So to answer that question that people were asking online, the farm is has become more of a retreat for me and for the family. And so we needed a place for the business because the the whole operation has been taking up the entire basement of my house. 
for the last four years since we moved. And we're already packed to the gills in that space and we're taking up all that space. So my kids couldn't have that space. So part of it was moving the podcast stuff, moving the office and a couple of the big tools out of here so that some of the space is then open backed up for the kids to use because they're, you know, bigger and they need more space and they're loud and we need to like get them in the basement sometimes. (laughs) So, um, in, in fact, it's funny like where our pod so where I'm sitting right now is my office and on the other side of this wall is where we did the podcast for um no instructions we had a little table set up in a little studio there that room when I was growing up this was my grandparents house and in that room there was a pool table and so every christmas every thanksgiving every family gathering whatever all of the cousins all of the kids my age got sent downstairs and all the adults were upstairs hanging out, and we all came down here and we played pool in that room right there. And like, I grew up having a lot of fun with my cousins right there. And several months back, I was looking at that room and I thought, you know what? Like, it's just a room, but I have a lot of memories here. And this podcast stuff could be anywhere, but my kids could have memories in this room. Oh, that's cool. So and you're so getting a pool table. A, a big part of that whole thing was like, I don't, this doesn't need to be here. This could be anywhere. Like this could be in another building. It could be in another, it could, whatever. And so one of the big things for me was realizing that I need to take the non-essential stuff, put it somewhere else where it can grow, it can thrive, it can expand, and then give some of this space back to my family. So that's one of the big things. I'm taking like all of my musical instruments that are out there that I don't play because they're in a different room and I'm bringing them into my office. This is now my office, not our office. And so it's kind of cool. Like for the first time I'm looking at this room over the past couple of weeks and being like, Oh, like I can make this into whatever I want. You know, I can like, I don't have to have uh, three desks in here and I don't have to have camera store. Well, I actually do have to have camera storage, but I don't have to have all these things that I've forced into this space anymore. I can make it like I want to make it hmm. and look at things that I want to look at that are non-essential. And then I'm going like, oh, <laughs> what is that? Like, what do I do with this big space? Where's now? your music so. stuff at now? All the music stuff is on the other, where the podcast things were in the next room over. It's not far. I mean, I can like, if there weren't a wall, I could touch the guitars, but I don't play them because they're in a different room. Yeah. And so part of this is I want to get all of that in here, right next to the recording yeah. equipment, right next to the computer. So there's no reason I couldn't pick up a guitar, play with it for just a minute, put it back, and then, you know. Do you have a drum set, too? Yeah. Yeah. It'll. I'm looking at the, your room, and it's, it's just this big, white, empty, empty <laughs> space. I'm like, yeah, that's a perfect place for a drum set, a perfect place to yeah. set up a guitar amp. And uh, you have the, the big old electric piano, too, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've got a, a Rhodes. I've got yeah. a couple amps, a rack of guitars. I have way more <laughs> music equipment than I need, but it's stuff I've accumulated over you know, the last thirty. It's funny years. we um we are we have a dedicated music room. It's the it's a tiny little bedroom in the house, but early we we've already have a we have a contractor coming in, and late spring, early summer, they are extending our bedroom and our master bath, which is going to go into our music room. So we will no longer have a music room. And mm. so I'm trying to figure out like, well, we have two drum sets. 
we don't need two drum sets, so we could probably just have one drum set. Um, Kelly's a drummer, so that's 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 why. And uh, but, but where is that drum set going to go? And so it might actually end up in in the shop. <laughs> so I, I don't know. Oh yeah. Like I r- <laughs> rarely, rarely, rarely ever play drums. Um. I don't know. So, but I I don't know. Like an an inside drum set and an outside backyard drum right, set would be kind right, of cool. Right, right, yeah. So, and uh, there might be a new shop next year on the property, and it will be a little bit bigger, so there would be room for it. But mm. I think I like the idea of having a music room more than actually having a music room, if, if that makes sense. Yeah, like you want it available. Yeah. But you don't actually want to spend the time to use it. I'm the same way. Like, yeah. I don't need to have all that gear set up ready to play because I don't play. Bob, will you move the wood shop ready. too? You're going to move all your equipment over to the new building? No. So the, the shop is staying here in the basement. It's not really changing. Uh, in fact, we took the CNC out of it. And so big Avid that I have in there, we took to the new place. And we're going to extend it from a 5x5 five five to a 5x10. And we we bought a laser back in December, uh, 36 by 48 full spectrum. And so we've actually been working on product development for about a year of these things that we want to sell. Some of them got paused for supply chain issue stuff. And so we're, we're working on other ideas. But basically the whole idea of the building is to move the offices so people have like a legit place to go to work, not to my basement, um, and more space to do their jobs and podcast studio where we can do the shows that we currently do, but also try to add some more shows, uh, video and audio. We want to, I want to produce more of that type of content. I really like it. And then we also want to make products for people and not just merch, but I, I really want us to be enabling people to do the things that they want to do. So we've spent a lot of time and we still have a long way to go trying to come up with things and and provide things that we can make in-house and we can ship from our building, from our office, uh, that will help people do the stuff that they want to do. So that's kind of the the point of having the laser and enlarging the CNC and moving those things over there so that that can run as a production facility without me, without being, you know, the video. I can do videos here with Anthony. He can still come over and shoot. Um but stuff can run there independently. So that's kind of the intention of, of getting the whole building. And I'm not sure that I said that super well in the video, but those are the big things. So yeah, I think I think I watched the video and I think it made sense. It, that, mm. I, that's what I got out of it. So cool. It's really awesome to have, have space over there. Cause it's a decent sized building. It's not huge, but it's awesome to have space that we don't have something planned for because, you know, before moving here, I was in a one car garage and everything happened in a one car garage. And so I maxed that out completely. And then we moved here and it it felt like I had an endless amount of space, but then I hired two people in house and the shop got a little bit bigger and, you know, I've, gotten into metalworking and I've gotten into, you know, got a couple of big tools. And so that space filled up. And so for the past couple of years, we've just been like, well, we have this thing we want to do. Where can we cram it? You know, we could, we could 
rearrange these tables and kind of fit it in between this thing. And like, we can swap these when we need to do them. And, and so now we looking at that place over there, we don't have plans for all of the space and it's really nice. There's a, a front room that faces the street where it would normally be the entryway. And we don't use it for that because we don't want any traffic. We don't want people coming there, but we have this, what would normally be like a reception area room that we don't have anything to do with. And it's, it's bigger than my office. Like it's a good size room, but it's cool to be like, well, we don't have to put anything here. We can just like leave it until we need it. We Is it okay if it I keep my drum set and my refrigerator size bass amp there? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think so. Are you um, sure? Yeah, I don't really want to offer it as storage for anybody because then it will, will fill up very quickly. But it, I don't know, it's, it feels really good, good to have potential. I think that's one of the things is that it's not, it's not a one for one. We have a need. This is the solution. It's full. You're not, you're not limited it, anymore. Yeah. Well, I mean, there always will be limits. You know, we, we can fill up any space just like right. anybody, you know, you can always fill up any house or whatever, but it feels really good to have untapped potential as far as room. And then um, somehow when we went to buy this, the lot next to it, it's an empty lot, was being sold by the same person at the same time. And I was able to get both of those things wrapped into the same purchase. So not only do we have this building that has a lot of empty space in it, we have a relatively inexpensive empty lot next to it. Is the building could eventually two, the building two stories or one one story? It's one story, yeah. Mm. Um, no basement, no you know upper story, anything like that. But it has taller ceilings, which is nice, so it doesn't feel cramped being a one story. And but we anyway I have this lot next to it. So in the future, if we need to build another shop or add other whatevers, I mean it's right there. Like I just kind of couldn't pass that up. Can I keep my band saws in your empty lot? No. Please, no, please. my bad. <laughs> sure not, not allow that. <laughs> but anyway, so that's that's what's going on with me. Um, you know, we've been moving some stuff, not a whole lot of stuff, but we've been moving some stuff over there and trying to get it set up. And it's weird getting a, a location that you know it has to have all these different things. We had to buy a bunch of cleaning supplies and think about you know new locks and replacing lights and. Hiring an electrician to do a little bit of stuff. Oh, I found out that there's three phase in the building already. That's good. Yeah. So we have an electrician coming in to run. Uh, unfortunately, we need a line run diagonally across the building from one corner to the other. <laughs> so it's like the longest possible run. Hmm. But he's coming to um, run three phase up there so that we can. We got a new spindle for the CNC that runs on three phase. And so it will just be a monster. Wow. It's going to be pretty awesome. Um, yeah. Anyway, that's me. I guess that's what's up. Well, I was going to talk a little bit about, uh, we're talking about potentially building new stuff, right? I mean, that's kind of the conversation yeah. we had leading into this. Uh, you know, we're catching up before we got started recording. And uh, I put up the video this weekend of the barn build and... We were all three just talking about how complicated it is to build anything. I mean, we're fortunate enough to be able to potentially afford, you know, these jobs in phases. So I was telling you guys, it makes it easy for me to to design these jobs in phases. And uh, 
I was just going to give a little bit of the background story on the on the barn build because I haven't really done too much social media on it. I haven't really talked too much about it from the beginning when we wanted to build my shop that I ended up building four years ago. We wanted to build a barn that was a post and beam barn, but we started doing the math and realizing it's not really practical for a shop because you have all these cross bracings and you can't really do a clear span. And ultimately me and Taylor decided, let's just make the shop like a big post and beam, or sorry, a big uh, pole barn. And that's why I started looking at Kyle's work. And I was like, I just want a big building with a clear span. A post and beam barn, we'll, we'll push it down the road and we'll use it for horses potentially or whatever. And so we had this plan of building the one we made with Kyle, the one that I did, did the TV show in, and then in the pasture building a horse barn. And so that plan's been in effect for a while. And just, uh, it's funny, I know, I know everybody that listens to this is family, so I would assume most people that listen to this aren't lighting Taylor up in the comments, but she's getting pretty lit up in the comments because she's a little buzz. She sounds, she's a little tipsy and she got a little snarky with me, but she's like, oh yeah, you know, I designed it. And then people are like just pointing at the ground and telling the builder where to put it isn't designing it. But she, we, her and I keep laughing about these comments. Um, like every once in a while, she'll just screen grab one and send it to me. And it's just, I'm like, I keep telling her, just ignore the comments, just ignore them. Just don't even write, just ignore them. And you know, the snarky comments actually add a little bit of, uh, you know, a little smoke so people can, the, the analytics will, will, will get lit up a little bit because <laughs> people are going back and forth, you know, there's a lot of like replies and answers. And, uh, but in all actuality, Taylor did a lot of work over the last, at least two to three years, at least three years going back and forth. Cause one year ago we had the plan, the plan, and we were going to hire a guy that's going to come in and he was going to be the teacher. And we were going to have all the posts and beams all cut. We were going to have like a big crew of guys, but it just didn't seem practical. And then I said to tell, I was like to have a bunch of people here for a month, just cutting and it would be fun, but I just foresee things not working well. And, you know, people not being financially responsible for, you know, my barn being like, I got to go back to work, you know, so they leave or whatever. So <clears throat> I said, let's get one guy to focus on. We got a couple of quotes and a lot of people said, why didn't I hire the Amish? The Amish came in about $10,000 more than, than Brett who actually built the building. Hmm. So the Amish were more expensive and difficult to communicate with because you'd have to literally call a phone number and, Nobody answered the phone. And if somebody answered the phone, you got to wait on hold. With Brett, we could text back and forth and communicate with him. You know, the Amish have their traditions that just, you know, obviously aren't up to modern standards. And we got a quote in the mail. He's like, I'll, when the guy finally came here, he goes, I'll send you, I'll send you a quote in the mail. And we got a quote written on yellow lined paper with a pencil from the Amish. <laughs> <laughs> written out in script. So everything he wrote was almost impossible to read. Like then there was like a long script uh, line and then a number, a long handwritten script line and then a number, a long handwritten script line <laughs> and then a number. And then it all added up to more than what we paid. And uh, they're not pleasant guys. They might, they're working on my friend's place. Very pleasant guys. But like I said, when I just looked at the totality of like them versus them, I was just like, let's just go with somebody we can text and communicate with and send pictures of reference to. Yeah. And, but Taylor did do a SketchUp drawing of the barn, and she modified it a hundred times. Like 
even though the barn looks very traditional and and to be expected and something like we've all seen a hundred times because it's based on characteristics of all these re- originally, you know, these barns were all overexposed to. And uh, the footprint, the layout, where it is on the property, all this work went into it. And she did it all. I basically said, do what you want as long as it looks good. And, uh, you know, I'm obviously extending myself financially by doing that and doing this and doing that. But, uh, you know, people are reminding me though, and they look back and they're like, you're really adding a lot of equity to your little compound there. And yeah, with real estate going all crazy around here, and I have no plans on selling, but, you know, I could refinance and get a healthy, uh, healthy refinance now that, you know, it'd be more attractive to, I couldn't refinance like f- four and a half years ago. I could not refinance. I just, I just wouldn't do it. Like you don't, you don't have the financials to do it, you know, because we have this wacky job that isn't yeah. a regular job, you know, basically an eternal freelancer. And they're like, yeah, yeah, sorry. But when I got my first mortgage, when I got the house, that was before the financial crash, where you did were basically checking to see if you were breathing for two weeks. Up, oh, you were breathing for two weeks, give my mortgage. You know, that's how I got my first mortgage. <laughs> and uh, so uh, it's, 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 exi- it's exciting, it's exhilarating, it's nerve-wracking, all those things. But um, it's there. And now the next step is to put the roof up. And we're quoting some guys. It's unfortunately in this area... It's hard to find people that are good at doing what they say they're going to do. You know, we have a stonemason now that he's been working outside this window for the last 10, 10 podcasts. He's been really good and he shows up for work. The hardest thing is just to get guys that want to do the work. You know, it's uh, hmm. we could do five episodes on and I bring it up all the time how everybody's complaining about, you know, they want work to go to Americans. But unfortunately, it doesn't seem like a lot of Americans want to work. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. We uh um, I want to expand the garage and basically double it and use the front half where the woodshop is now as the place to put the Impala. And the, the new addition to the garage would be the new woodshop, which would be, bas- it would look pretty much exactly like how it is now, just 17 feet longer. But there are two trees in the way. And so I've, I've been trying to get quotes on getting those two trees removed. The the first company that I called, my my cousin, he's a he's a tree trimmer for a local city, and he's like, these are the companies you want to work with. So I called the first company, and they said we are not taking on new clients right now. I'm like, okay. So then I called the second one that he recommended. He came out, and he's like, this is out of our league. <laughs> I was like, okay. He's like, we don't have a crane. And I'm like. I, I and I've been told that this company will rent a crane to do this, but he just didn't want to do the job. And so the third company came out yesterday, and he quoted us ten to twelve thousand dollars. And wow, like yeah, just they because they have to get a crane to go over the garage. And he's like, we do this all the time. That's not the issue. The issue is like once you pick it, like then the crane has to swing over, and they have to go like through other trees and through like uh uh. And, and miss the house and uh, and find a place to put the tree down. So we got one more company coming out to give us a quote, but um, and and I've had one quote on the expansion, which was basically seventy thousand dollars to double the garage, and that yeah. includes pouring a pouring the slab with framing the electrical and 
putting in the the ceiling and the siding and the windows and doors and everything. And I was like, oh man, $70,000 plus another $10,000 for the trees is $80,000. I'm like, that doesn't sound worth it right now. And I'll tell you what, add add like another 20% to that of just incidentals while you're working. Yeah. And I'm like, is it, I, I spent most of my life in debt and I'm finally at a place where like, I'm not buried in debt. Wait, I can pay my bills now. And I'm yeah. like, do I don't want to take a loan out to do this? Is my is it is it worth it? Is the business still going to be here in in 5 years? Like I don't know where this YouTube thing is going to go. Like, well, maybe we'll do it in chunks. So right now we're just going to we're going to get the trees removed. And then the the one contractor, I'm like, what if we just do the um the, the slab and the framing? And we'll save the electrical and the interior work for another time. And he's like, then that's going to be $50,000. So it's, um, I'm so stressed out about it because I, I think it's going to be worth it, but I don't know, you know? Well, like I said, you're, you're improving your, you're investing yeah. money in your house and it's not, it's never, ever going to get lost. You know, it's never, it's yeah. never going to go away. There's a, a high, well, high, high, high return. I, I think there is something to be with that in mind, though. There's something to think about when you invest money into a house. Will the return for that investment relative to the house itself <clears throat> actually come back if you were to sell? So, like, um, if you had a small house and you put a whole bunch of money into a really nice kitchen, you know, you put in thirty, forty grand into a kitchen to make this awesome kitchen, but then when somebody looked at the house they wouldn't buy the kitchen. They buy the house that has an overbuilt kitchen in it. <laughs> could you get that money back in saying, a sale? Could you, could you physically add that price to this price and expect yeah, it to? Yeah, so like even, and I, I've never been to your house, so I don't know, I'm not making a comment on it, your home at all, but like if you have a house that is disproportionate to a four-car garage or whatever you would end up with, like, would that be a selling point for that house? Or would it be like, wow, this seems like an odd mixture of things for the next person to buy? Right. You know, uh, you may not be able to recoup that money one for one, even though the value is in the structure mm-hmm. from a sellability standpoint. Something yeah. to think about. Yeah, there's yeah, a lot of factors. There's a that. lot. Like, there's just there's so many factors that go into it because upstate here in New York, I, I drove by houses that were dilapidated that, you know, I would say to myself, oh, I should pick up one of these houses just to have as an investment, you know, for 50 grand, less 40 grand, 25, 30 grand for some of these houses. And now they're getting $250,000 because of the real estate market like that. It's not worth it, but it's, you know, it, in this current market, when there's nothing available, people be like, oh, I can, you know, and then there's a bidding war on these houses that, you know, you, you would have just assumed were abandoned. It's crazy. I'm sure somebody could explain this to me, but I'm not asking them to because I don't really want to know. But I don't understand how (laughs) there's the the market for real estate has just skyrocketed and stuff is worth, I'm air quoting, worth so much money. Yet there are so many open jobs. People are quitting jobs at an alarming rate. I don't understand this. I don't. How get are it people either. paying for things? <laughs> I don't get it, and it's not easy to get a mortgage. I guess it seems like a lot of these, a lot of these things are like cash buys up here in my area. A lot of people are saying, mm-hmm. you know, they're they're offering. Like, I'll give you an example. Taylor is getting her real estate license. In fact, she's getting she's testing today. But really, she's gone through studying this for quite some time now, and she uh, was helping a friend buy a house, and her friends 
she was pre-approved for 250000 or more. And we looked at all these houses. And I went to a couple of them. Taylor's like, you should come look at this just so we could see what we could do to our house. And so I went on a, a couple of the drive-throughs of these places. And, and every single time, our friend would look at the house and then they'd go back and they'd start discussing it. They'd be like, oh yeah, somebody bought it. They made a cash offer, 20% oh, over buy. Right. Like every single time where she had the, uh, you know, working against her, she would have had to then go and get the mortgage. It'd take time to get approved. You know, closing would have been set sometime down in, you know, few. every house she looked at was always bought up eventually by somebody who did a cash offer. It's like, uh, like, yeah, you know, somebody matched your offer with cash. They could pay tomorrow. We don't have to wait for your mortgage to go through. So that That's was, wild. I, so these people, people are just like kind of digging in and saying, you know what, let's take the nest egg and put it into a house somewhere else outside yeah. of a city. And that's what seems like it's going on. Hmm. It's uh, it's booming around here. And when you looked at Zillow in two years ago, it was a million red dots. And you look at Zillow now, there's like two, three red dots. And nothing hmm. is available. And uh, yeah, so. So to jump back, because we do have to actually wrap up here pretty quickly. We both have hard outs soon. But to jump back to your uh, your garage thing, David, do you think it's something that you will try to do in phases, depending on what the other quote comes back, or are you gonna like? Would that be beneficial, or or doing it all at once would be better? It, I mean, it, it depends. I need to. I got a feeling another quote's gonna gonna be right about the same. Um, so when I when I talked to the one contractor who quoted me seventy thousand for complete, fifty thousand for partial um he's like you know you can just you know if your financial situation changes we can just add on you know what in the spring when we're finishing this up we can just continue working you know so i think mm. i will probably i'll do the trees now the the, the company is available to, to do it yet this year and i think i will do it in phases and maybe um Maybe something happens uh, where I get a little bit more income, and I can I can do do it all at once. I, I have a feeling like if I just if I get the slab poured and and it, and it framed and it's just sitting there, I got a feeling I can figure out how to finish it. You know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, you can always sell a drum set. I can always sell a drum set, <laughs> and I, I, I'm in a very fortunate position where. I get to choose how I make my money and how much work I want to put into it. So maybe if I do double down and rethink of some of the content that I'm making or the things that I'm selling, maybe, I, maybe I can do it. Maybe I just need to look at my business in a, in a different way and I don't know. I'll figure it out. I'll figure it out. You should do the Jimmy Duresta school of uh, investing. <laughs> Which just, is just, to short-term goals, I said, all yeah, right, when, yeah. I, when I work with Kyle, I'm like, all right, let's just build the frame, and then I, I have no idea where the next phase of the money is going to come from. Yeah. And we built it, and then it was there. And then I was like, okay, and then David Paraguay came, and he said, give me a quote for the floor. And I was like, I have no idea how I'm going to pay for that, but if I could pay for it in three payments, would that be okay? He's like, sure. <laughs> and you know, I met years ago, I remember I told you guys I have about $200,000 in credit cards if I need it. That was, that's always like my, my, my soft zone to go backwards. That's kind of like my overdraft is my credit card. I don't have to use it and I haven't had to use it, but it's still like kind of my, always been my thought. It's like, okay, 
if I need to take, you know, $20,000 off credit cards, I could do that to pay for this. And then I'll deal with how to pay that. It's horrible, horrible advice. Don't do that. But <laughs> I'm but, glad you said it. <laughs> but the point I'm making is it's like, I always just have this like blind optimism that something's going to come through. And then, mm. you know, I say yes to every opportunity. They don't all always come through. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, something always ends up working out. You know, I do feel like I have a, a bit of a guardian angel. I'm not very spiritual in that regard, but, you know, it's kind of, kind of saying it as a joke, but I do feel like I have a guardian angel where I just keep taking these like leaps of faith and just f- figuring it out. So, like I said, I remember when, when I had to give Kyla down payment for the building, I wanted to give him $20,000 because that's all I had. That was four years ago. And he said, he goes, don't give it to me. Just wait till, you know, wait till I say, I go, can I just, I say, please, can I just give it to you? Because if I sit some, it, it'll make it official that I'm doing this job with you because if mm. I keep, if I keep this like lump in my bank account, I'll end up having a, I'll have to do an emergency septic tank repair or something. I said, if it goes to you, like fate is locked, you're coming to do this. And he still right. wasn't deciding whether he wanted to do it or not. But ultimately I ended up giving him that first payment. He accepted it and that locked me on that path. And, uh, but a big, but it is in the woods it was on see there was always the possibility that i couldn't finish it and nobody would see it so <laughs> it's a different story for you dave where you know you don't want your garage half done which is literally right you know on the street or you know right. you're, you're in a you're in a suburb like i always tell taylor because the house is up front and center like i haven't been able to finish the porch because the stonemason's doing all this work and it's just drive me crazy like i might if i don't get the porch done in november which i don't think i'll even be able to it's going to be too cold to put all that wood down and the wood's all going to be shrunk. I'm going to tightly pack it. And in the spring, the wood's going to shrink. It's all tongue and groove porch. I have to put it down when it's warm out. And I, I think I'm already past my point. So I have these big thick bushes, which cover the front of my house. So you can't see my, my porch project isn't done. And I have a couple sponsors that are in that video. So they're a little annoyed that it's not done yet, but I don't think, I think I'm going to have to wait six months to put the porch deck on now because it's getting too cold. Hmm. So I always hate having, half done projects where everybody could see them. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, and I am, I'm completely aware that these are, um, good problems to have. Like, uh, yeah. I, I, uh, you know, I come from a place of like living paycheck to paycheck most of my life. And yeah. I, I'm aware, like, this isn't, this isn't me complaining. This is me trying to figure out what is the future of what's the best what decision I'm, to make. What's yeah. The best yeah. Cause I, I'm constantly trying to grow as a as a person as a as a as a creator and and I always want the business to grow and I I think it's the right decision to keep the business growing so I can have these two different sections of the building one for woodworking one for metal and and auto body and and stuff like that because I think there's a there's potential for uh, me to learn new things and and share that with with other people so I'm. I'm super aware that there are people in a tiny little room in their basement trying to, to do woodworking and I'm I'm not I'm not complaining about not having enough space. I'm yeah. just trying to trying to figure figure my life out. So, I have one thing to say and this is maybe related but and it's a bigger topic that maybe we can talk about in the future, but a lot lately I've been dealing with or thinking through a bunch about life. You know, I'm in my 40s. And one of the things that has come up to in my mind about a bunch of different situations is I'll, I'll say to myself, like, oh, man, someday it would be really cool if blank. And it's hit me recently that there is no someday. There someday, is no. Someday is next week. 
it is now. This is it, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? And so there is no like, well, maybe in my second go around or in my next whatever, this is it. And so I think that doesn't mean that everything can be just like, you know, a risk and everything can be just thrown at the wall and, and deal with it or whatever. I think being smart and being calculated about what you're talking about is, is smart and wise. But I also think that there's part of, at least me, there's part of me that's beginning to get a little bit more of, this is my chance to do the stuff that I want to do. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to put it off anymore. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to think about it so far uh, that I'm unwilling to, to take a step, like you're talking about, Jimmy, take a step of faith, take a step into risk. This is it. So, you know, take that for whatever it's worth. And, you know, somebody once told me a long time ago, a friend of mine, <clears throat> older and wiser than me, she's, she's been one of my early mentors. She's about 20 years older than me, and we're still friends. She said, and I probably said this, it's good to spend, it's within reason. Everything's within reason. But it's good to overextend yourself because it forces you to work harder. It forces you to think of mm-hmm. how you can, you know, so if you stay in this, like, little comfortable area where, you know, it's like, okay, you know, I don't really want to take that risk. I don't want to take that risk. But if you say, you know what, let me, let me buy that tool. And then suddenly you're like, wow, I can't believe I could a afford it. And looking back now, how it helped me make more money. Let me build that building, you know, like that building that I built with Kyle, the big black barn, it would call it the dream shop. If, if, if I got nervous and didn't build it, I wouldn't have had so many more opportunities. I wouldn't have had all those wonderful friendships developed through the classes that we had. Mm. I wouldn't have had, uh, you know, the opportunity to do a television show in there. And I got a tremendous amount of rent money, you know, which basically paid for the barn I just built. Um, you know, so it's like you taking these, if you overextend yourself and you're not sure how it's going to happen, forces start to to internally you get desperate you get nervous you start making you start doing you start working harder basically i was at the bar the other night with some friends and some guy goes what do you do what's your investment what do you do with think he goes what's your investment plan i go my investment plan is just to work harder and he cracked up laughing because he goes "You, you don't play the stock market or nothing i go no like right now i've been just investing in my own personal property my backyard and looking for other properties to buy but in general if you want more money i just work harder you know this like there's ways that you could you, you could invest your money wisely and if you're an idiot like me you have no idea how the stock market works you could just work harder and just make more opportunities for yourself and uh that's kind of what i've been doing and then i look around my all the tools and space and shop i go if i get that machine to make 100 of these widgets i can sell those 100 widgets and so that's why i'm kind of coming up with more stuff for the website from time to time. Like I'll have like mm-hmm. a brainstorm, like, cause in the background, I'm always thinking, what are these things I could turn around and sell and get income through the website or, you know, and then obviously there's, there's luck. There's a lot of luck, like where I, I make this product, put it on YouTube. And now I have this major retail chain wants me to manufacture it for them. And that's still in process. That's happening. So, yeah. Yeah. And you know, you just, at the end of the day, you could just work harder and get more money. I mean, that's <laughs> Wu-Tang Financial. Work harder. <laughs> <laughs> I know we got to well, go, Bob, because we both got to do yeah, the after show. We so both got to run, and we got to do an after show for the patrons, yes. which everybody over at Patreon gets. Um, and we're going to fit it in today before we have to run. But I want to say big thanks to everybody over at Patreon that supports us and uh, and helps out. And especially our top supporters over there, Odin Leather Goods, Full Steam Designs, Rich at Lowen Design, Blondie Hex, <clears throat> excuse, 
Excuse me. <clears throat> Sorry, my coffee fought back. Blondie Hacks, Fun Kiss Artistic Creations, You Can Make This Too, Chad from Mancrafting, Works by Solo, Albers Woodworks, and Corey Ward. But there's a bunch of people over there, like Brendan Shaw. <gasps> He's also one of our patrons. There's a bunch of patrons, and we're grateful for every single one of them. So if you want to get the after show, hear secret stuff. I mean, they've been hearing about uh, the building that we bought for several weeks now, because I talk about that in the after show. So secret stuff ahead of time. Go to patreon.com slash making it. Or if you don't want to do that, go leave us a review. Apparently that helps. So I hear. I don't know. That's what people say. I don't think it would hurt. But all right. You guys got anything to uh, recommend this week? Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to, once again, if you tuned in late, I talked about Keith Rutger and vintage machinery. Go check out Keith Rutger's video. He's restoring a bandsaw for me that I picked up. Well, he picked it up for me. I just sent somebody PayPal money. So thank you, Keith. (laughs) Everybody go support Keith. Tell him I sent you. Part one is up of the restoration. Mine is the latest homemade modern video. Ben builds a table uh, on a, um, he was commissioned to build this table. And I I think two thirds of the video, he talks about cost breakdown, why he sold it for this much, um, how he approached the client, like totally breaks down every little detail of the proposal, making sure expectations were met and the cost of materials and profit. It's extremely detailed. And I think it's going to help a lot of people. And so it's called, the video is called $3,530 in materials to make an $8,000 table. <laughs> right through the front door. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Um, mine is a channel called Wicked Makers. You guys have met uh, Jamie and Jay before, right? At Sounds Maker familiar. Fair and stuff. Sounds very familiar. So they're... It's a couple that does, I feel like one of them, I don't remember, sorry if they're listening, but one of them is a graphic designer, one of them works in special effects, if I remember correctly. But I've met them at at least a couple of maker fairs and like different events and whatever. They're really, really cool and they make really cool stuff. Somebody recently asked me about making um, Halloween tombstone props and I knew that they had made a video, so I just sent their video over. But it reminded me, looking through their catalog of stuff, like just how cool a lot of the things that they make are. And so I want to give them a shout out because they do some great stuff. So go over and, and check out mm-hmm. Jamie and Jay. So their channel is like Halloween all year round? Kind of. I think that's like their favorite genre of stuff to make. Yeah. And so it's not all Halloween-y stuff, but it definitely has a lot of that yeah. vibe. Yeah, I'm looking at the thumbnail. It says this... <laughs> Looks awesome. It's fun. And if you ever get to hang out with them at an event, they're very nice. I made a a tombstone out of the the purple pink foam insulation stuff a few years mm-hmm. ago. You can't spray spray paint on there. It just eats away. Oh yeah. Well, you can, <laughs> and it makes it look cool and old. But I wasn't prepared for it to be cool and old. We got to go to the after show, but I'll tell you about my experience with doing that, which is not that interesting. But it should drive you to the after show, so we're gonna go do that now. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. Thank you. We'll catch you next time. Love you guys.